am Leslie Ludi, host of the Set Apart Podcast, Biblical Encouragement for Women of All Ages. This week, we're continuing with our Biblical Mindset series, and I'd like to camp out for a couple of episodes on a biblical approach to relationships, so pre-marriage relationships, preparing for marriage, in marriage, or even if you're a young girl in looking ahead to the future, how do we approach this area of our life every season of our relational life from a biblical mindset, a biblical perspective? We've covered some of these topics before in past episodes, but I feel like it's so important to go deeper, to be freshly reminded of these truths and to really understand how to think and reason biblically in this area of our lives because it's easy to esteem the truth but not really practically know how to live it out as darkness just continues to develop our culture and impurity and sensuality and selfishness is so glorified in this area. So whatever season of life you're in, my hope and prayer is that these principles will just give you a fresh anchor to your soul in these confusing times of approaching this area of your life in a God-honoring and truth-filled way. Before we jump in, I wanted to remind you that there are still a couple more weeks to register to stream a simulcast of our 2023 Set Apart Conference. And the event is happening in Colorado June 16th through 18th, and our on-campus spots, our in-person spots are completely full. But if you'd like to join us via simulcast or share this message with other women in your life, this is a great opportunity to do that. If you purchase a simulcast registration, it covers a group of any size. So you could literally have a church packed full of hundreds of women and share this message with them, or just simply invite a friend over and stream the sessions from your living room. You'll have access to the sessions for the rest of 2023. So you can enjoy this conference at a time that works best for you. And I'm very excited to see what God has in store for this powerful weekend. So if you're interested in joining us via simulcast, just click the link in this podcast description or go to setapart.org for more information. Now let's talk about having a biblical mindset towards relationships. And this is part one. We're going to go into part two in next week's episode. And again, some of these principles may be review, but I feel like not only do we need to be freshly reminded of them, but also I'd like to go even deeper and make them more practical than what we may have covered in the past, just because I know there is a lot of confusion around the practical way to live this out, a biblical, truth-filled approach to relationships. And my purpose in sharing these messages is to make these foundational biblical principles for relationships understandable and applicable for real life situations so that we don't just nod along and esteem the idea of a God-centered relationship or a biblical approach to relationships, but we really know how to apply his truth to -to day-to-day situations. When I share on relationships, I tend to focus mostly on principles and I try not to get overly specific. And the reason for that is because godly relationships and godly friendships cannot be based on rules or formulas. As we've seen so often in the church today, it's really easy to want to counteract the debaseness of the culture by putting a whole bunch of rules and formulas together for how we as Christians should approach this area. But I believe that truth-filled relationships, Christ-honoring relationships, can only be the outflow of a genuine, passionate individual relationship with Jesus Christ. Most of us have seen counterfeits of, quote, godly relationships within the church as a whole. We see legalism. We see even oppression in this area, even abuse of authority, the perversion of a woman's role, or even emotional or physical harm done to others under the banner of, quote, godly relationships. So it's really important that we have the right perspective. We approach this in the right way because it can become extremely dangerous to go in the direction of 
rules and formulas and sort of a flesh-based approach, thinking you're doing this the right way. I feel like the last 10 years or so, there's been a bashing of the so-called purity movement. And it's basically a bashing of those kinds of counterfeits of formulas and rules and legalism and abuse of the scriptural principles that we see in the word of God. And seeing some of the abuse in this area in certain Christian circles, I do understand where it comes from because I've been around all of those circles most of my life, and I've seen every extreme, I do think that we need to be extremely cautious about throwing the baby out with the bathwater where we suddenly villainize the idea of purity and godly relationships, when in reality, it's the abuse and the twisting of godly biblical principles that we really need to stand against, not the concept of purity, which was God's idea in the first place. Now, even if you did not come from a legalistic background, it's interesting how quickly this topic of relationships can become rules-based. For me, I didn't grow up in a legalistic home. I grew up in a a pretty typical Christian home in modern-day Christianity. But the way that I approached this area of my life was was rules-based. It was two Christian rules. I was supposed to date Christians, and I was supposed to not cross that physical line, not give away my purity before marriage. And I failed pretty dramatically in that area of my life because I didn't really have enough guidance. I just had two vague rules that left a lot of gray territory, a lot of confusion for me as to how do I live this out in everyday life. In some cases, I think Christian relationships fail because there's too much human guidance and not enough room for the Spirit of God to work. And in others, I feel like it's because there's a lack of guidance. There's a lack of, here's how you really live this out, and here's how you work in cooperation with the Spirit of God in this area of your life. I think that is probably one of the most overlooked principles when it comes to relationships, whether we're talking about pre-marriage or engagement or marriage, is that leaving room for the Spirit of God to lead and guide and direct and submitting to His leading and His guidance that He desires to be involved in our decisions and the details of how we build a relationship, how we build a marriage, that is so critical. It's not like you can just open a relationship book and write down a whole bunch of rules and say, well, if I just follow these rules, everything will turn out great. If you are shutting God's spirit out and you are not submitted to him and you are not working in cooperation with him in the principles that guide this relationship, it's going to become a human-based fleshly thing that does not go in a direction that is truly God-honoring. So I'd like to go a little bit more granular in the topic of pre-marriage relationships in this episode, and we will also go into marriage principles in our next episode. I know that each of you are in a different season of life, so I want to encourage you that if there are principles that don't specifically apply to your season of life as we go through these next two episodes, either tuck the principles away in your heart in preparation for the future, or maybe you're already past the season of building a relationship. Maybe you're already engaged or married. Tuck these principles away for the younger girls or single girls or younger siblings that you have influence with because they are hungry for true biblical guidance in this area. And as we've talked in other episodes, what an amazing opportunity for the older women to teach the younger women God's pattern and show that by example. So let's look at a biblical mindset towards pre-marriage relationships, and this is part one. Again, we'll go into other principles for engagement in marriage in our next episode, but I want to get back down to the most important truth for relational health, and this is in singleness, in pre-marriage, and in marriage. And the answer may sound overly simplistic, but it's this, Jesus above all else. Now, again, that may sound overly simplistic, but it actually is the key to relationships and marriage that works. 
Now, because this idea can sound spiritual, but a little bit vague, like how do I do that? How do I apply that? We're going to unpack it at a granular level in this episode. I want to look at the how and the why of putting Jesus above all else. I want to talk about why does putting Jesus first matter so much when it comes to relationship? What does it really look like to find our identity and fulfillment in him instead of in relationships? And how does putting him first safeguard our approach to relationships? Those are some of the questions we're going to be unpacking over the next couple sessions. Let's dive into the first one. Why does putting Jesus first matter so much when it comes to relationships? And the reason is because a godly relationship can only flow out of a surrendered heart. Surrender places God in his rightful place as the one who is in control. And that's when he can truly write a story that reflects his glory. Otherwise, we will always be jerking that pen out of his hand and trying to write a better story and failing every time. I think it's really important to note here that you can build a, quote, godly looking relationship without really having a surrendered heart. This might fool people on the outside, but will never fool God. And he will not be able to fulfill his perfect plan for us as long as we're inwardly grasping for control. So any practical relational principle that we add to our life has to first come from that place of a surrendered heart, giving God complete control and saying, Lord, you have this area of my life. And I want to just take a quick look at some examples from Christian history, because throughout Christian history, in both recent decades and in long ago ages, men and women entrusted their romantic desires to God, and they declared that obedience and surrender to God were of far greater importance than their own personal desires. So for some, like, Amy Carmichael and Gladys Aylward and John Hyde, if you've ever studied those missionaries' lives, that commitment to putting Christ first meant giving up marriage completely in order to serve Christ without distraction. They felt a call to singleness because of the work that God had called them to do. Now, for Gladys Aylward, she never specifically felt called to singleness. She actually prayed for a husband, but when God didn't bring one, she surrendered to that. And she said, okay, Lord, I'm going to fully invest in the work that you've given me to do here in China. For other men and women in Christian history, this commitment to put Christ above all else meant stepping into marriage for the glory of God, not merely for their own satisfaction and fulfillment. I think about Jim and Elizabeth Elliot. If you've never read some of Elizabeth Elliot's books on relationships, they're very very challenging, very convicting, and yet filled with this concept of giving God the pen and letting him remain in total control and not letting human fleshly desires lead the relationship. Even though Jim and Elizabeth were very attracted to each other during college, they actually waited five years before moving forward in their relationship instead of rushing ahead of God. And that is almost unheard of today. When when young people have this desire to be married, they see another person and it's, you know, a godly person, a Christ-focused person. It's like, why would we wait? It's obvious that we would be a great fit and God's stirring something here. Let's just go for it. And yet this concept of waiting on God is all but lost in our church today, but it's a principle that God honors. Here's something that Elizabeth Elliot wrote in one of her books, a good and perfect gift, these natural desires, but so much more than necessary that they be restrained, controlled, even crucified, that they might be reborn in power and purity for God. For us, this was the way we had to walk and we walked it. Jim seeing it his duty to protect me, I seeing it mine to wait quietly, not attempting to woo or entice. A man's love for a woman ought to hold her to the highest. Her love for him ought to do the same. I did not want to turn Jim aside from the call of God to distract his energies or in any way to stand between him and surrender. This was what I understood real love to mean. 
And I wonder how many of us understand that that is what real love is, to not stand between anyone else and their total surrender to God. Now, that doesn't mean we all are called to wait five years before we enter into a marriage relationship once God shows us the person that he's writing a love story with, and yet the willingness to continue to surrender it back to him and say, not my will, but yours be done. The willingness to say, Lord, I will wait until you are the one moving this forward. I'm not going to rush ahead with my own human desires, and I don't want to be a distraction to the other person fully surrendering to you. And because they were willing to make that decision, their relationship was truly God-written and became an example to an entire generation. I look at also Oswald and Biddy Chambers. They shared an incredible kindred spirit and like-minded passion for God when they were first getting to know each other as single young adults, and marriage seemed to be the obvious fit, but Oswald Chambers knew that his desires needed to first be fully surrendered to Jesus Christ. Christ needed to come first, even if it meant they never got married. And this is something that he wrote to Biddy, God has all the circumstances in his hand. In his hand, my whole life and yours with me must be for him and not for domestic bliss. Some years later, God did direct Oswald and Biddy to marry and labor together in his kingdom. And when they did, they had the clear knowledge that he had been given his rightful place as the Lord over their decision. And I think of Reese and Elizabeth House, who led one of the most dramatic revivals in Africa, and they had a powerful lifelong ministry of prayer and evangelism. They felt drawn together by God, yet willingly laid their hope of marriage on the altar before him. In Reese's biography, it says the Lord had drawn them together until they wondered if it were God's will to marry and to make a home for the homeless people that they were ministering to. Soon after, they were led in the opposite direction to give up their marriage, not knowing whether it would ever be restored to them. It wasn't until three years later that the Lord's word came that their lives should be united in his service. So again, here's a couple who waited three years before they knew for sure that God was leading them to move forward. Laying everything on the altar before our king and allowing him to do with our lives whatever he sees fit is where true Christianity begins and is where true relational success begins. He took up his cross. He asked us to do the same in every area of our lives, including this one. For some reason, we tend to hold on to the area of relationships as our own personal area that is our right to do whatever we want with, as opposed to realizing this is something he is asking us to surrender back to him. And that's when we will experience his best. That's when we'll experience true success. Now, a common pitfall in modern Christian relationships is to mistake a surrendered heart for merely esteeming the idea of a surrendered heart. Sometimes we think that we are surrendered to God, but we don't really know our own heart. So I want to look at a few warning signs that maybe we haven't really surrendered control of this area of our life to God. And the first one would be impatience. That's a warning sign. If you are in a hurry, if you are progressing a friendship or a relationship forward very quickly based on some desire or maybe feeling like God might be in it, instead of patiently waiting and diligently praying and gaining counsel from trusted spiritual authorities and refusing to rush ahead of God. That is the hallmark of a surrendered heart. God is never in a hurry. His timing is often slower than we would want, and often he uses delay and uncertainty to test our faith and to see if we can trust him enough to wait. The three examples that I just showed from history all waited on 
God for a number of years, not days or weeks or months before they had the absolute assurance and confirmation that God was leading them toward marriage. Now, again, it's not always years, but are we willing to say, Lord, as long as you desire me to wait, to know for sure that you are nudging me forward, that this is in cooperation with your spirit, that I am not rushing ahead of you, I am willing to do that. In Lamentations 3, 24, it says, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. When the Lord is our portion, when he is our satisfaction, when he is our all in all, we have what we need to wait for him because we have everything that we need in him and we're not desperately trying to seek it in relationship. And as I've said in other episodes, if we are not satisfied in Christ and we're trying to find that satisfaction in a human relationship, even if you do find a great godly significant other and you just jump right into that relationship, there is still going to be something missing because only Christ can satisfy us at the deepest level of our heart. I personally believe that waiting and not rushing into things is a far greater indication of a surrendered heart than a whirlwind relationship or a guy-girl friendship that just moves extremely quickly. I have seen a lot of marriages fail or struggle because they rushed ahead of God. But I have seen few, if any, couples who regret moving slower and waiting for God's perfect timing. That's not usually what our flesh wants to hear, but God will honor us when we wait on him, when we allow him to remain in the driver's seat. So if there is impatience in this area of your life, really allow God to show you whether your heart is truly submitted and surrendered to him and his timing. Another warning sign would be secrecy or lack of godly counsel. When we keep others at arm's length, from a friendship or a relationship, especially spiritual authorities like parents, and we are not proactively seeking out counsel and godly perspective, that is a warning sign that our hearts are not truly surrendered. Because when we have a surrendered heart, we are not afraid to hear outside perspective. In fact, we welcome guidance and input from trusted godly counselors. When we are clinging to our own pen and writing our own story, we're going to be very reluctant to hear input from others for fear that they might advise against moving the relationship forward. It says in Proverbs eleven fourteen, where no counsel is, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. And of course, that means a multitude of godly counselors, not just, you know, advice from friends who just are going to tell you what you want to hear. The bottom line is that a surrendered heart cannot be measured by intent or esteem, but by the fruit of our lives and the fruit of the friendship or the relationship. One of my older children brought up an interesting point to me recently where he said, one of the ways you can tell that a friendship is really being directed and led by God, a guy-girl friendship or a guy-girl relationship, is that the fruit in everybody else's life who knows the couple, whether it's their siblings or their parents or their close friends, the fruit is going to be in alignment with the fruit of the Spirit. It is going to bring love, joy, peace, and patience and all of those things that hallmark something that God is in the midst of. If a friendship or a guy-girl relationship that is forming is bringing the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit, if it's bringing discord and frustration and consternation and disunity and concern, then even though it may seem like, oh, this is a great couple, God is doing this, that is not how God works. God does not bring something into our lives or into the body of Christ that is going directly against his nature or his pattern. So keep that in mind. 
So those are two warning signs, impatience and secrecy or lack of godly counsel to understand whether our hearts are truly surrendered to Jesus Christ. Now let's take just a really quick look at purity. We have done other episodes on purity, so I'm not going to go into this as deeply as I could, but we'll link some of those episodes in the podcast description if you'd like to kind of take them deeper. But one thing I would say about purity, that commitment to physical purity, just like the whole commitment to a godly relationship, it can only work as an outflow of our love for Christ. And the reason why purity commitments so often fail, the reason why this whole idea of the purity movement has been under so much attack is because the purity movement, or a lot of people who used to speak on purity or still do speak on purity, don't often emphasize that it can only work as an outflow of our love for Christ. Again, it can tend to be a very rule-based thing as opposed to a relationship-based thing. And that's the only way purity can actually work. Otherwise, we are going to fall flat on our face. We often have the wrong motives for embracing a purity commitment. Maybe it's for our own benefit because we've heard, oh, you know, your life will be better if you pursue purity. Or we do it because we want to follow other people's rules or expectations. When I was in youth group growing up, people would tell me things like, you know, why would you want to eat a greasy hamburger now if you could wait and have a steak dinner later? Why would you want to open your presents before Christmas morning? You're going to spoil it. And that was, you know, some of the ideas of why I wouldn't rush into a physical relationship with a guy, those arguments were extremely weak because they were very self-focused. What are you going to get out of this? And as I've said in other episodes, when it comes to purity, we are so often committed to a concept instead of to a person. A commitment to purity must flow out of a heart that longs to love, honor, and glorify Jesus Christ above all else. When purity is a philosophy or a concept, we can easily be talked out of it. And maybe you experienced that in the younger years of your life. Maybe that's something you're struggling with right now. And even though maybe when we're trying to reach out to children that are in the public school system, we can talk about STDs and the dangers of you know being sexually promiscuous, but in the Christian soul, it needs to go deeper than that. The wrong motives for a purity commitment would be something like this. What will I get out of this commitment? Will it make me happier? Or will this please my parents and my church leaders? Those are not the right motives for a purity commitment. The right motive is this. Jesus Christ has given everything for me. Will I not give him everything in return? We are the temple of the Most High God. We are purchased by His blood. He asks us to remain pure mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually, and He is worthy, and that is our motive. Only Christ can fulfill the deepest needs in our heart. When we look to a human relationship to meet needs in our heart that only Christ can fill, we will always be disappointed. So if we are not satisfied in Christ before a relationship comes into our lives, we will never be satisfied, even if we somehow find the perfect, quote, man of our dreams. And one question that comes up when I talk about this is this, is contentment in Christ really possible or is contented singleness an over-spiritualized notion? And sadly, there have been some books that have entered the Christian world in the past 15 years or so that have challenged the idea that you can be content and joyful in singleness and kind of mocked it saying, oh, it's just over-spiritualizing singleness and no one can ever really be content with singleness because God designed us for marriage. I think that's a very dangerous concept because first and foremost, not everyone is 
called to marriage. And even those of us who are, are needing to find our contentment in Christ. If we look to marriage to find our contentment, we're going to put unhealthy pressure on our marriage. And if our spouse is ever taken from us, our lives will fall apart as opposed to having our soul anchored in Christ. It says in Psalm 42, 1 and 2, as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. That psalm paints such a beautiful picture for how any individual, single or married, is to desire Jesus Christ. We long after Jesus Christ as a deer pants after the water, for only he can satisfy the deepest needs and longings of our soul. God did design us for relationship with others, and for most of us, probably for marriage, but it is unbiblical to say that he is not enough to fulfill us at the deepest level of our soul. It says in Psalm 107.9 that he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. So a few final thoughts I want to share with you about these core principles for relationships. Jesus Christ is shown all throughout scripture as the perfect fulfillment of our heart and the sweetest satisfaction of our soul. He doesn't intend to only fill us halfway so that marriage can make up for what he lacks to fill us with. God created marriage to be a reflection of the perfect union and fellowship that we can have with him. And it showcases the ultimate marriage of Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. So we need to have his his bigger picture in mind as we approach this area of our life and recognize that everything that we need can be found in Him. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. We'll go deeper into biblical keys, biblical mindsets towards relationships and marriage in next week's episode. Meanwhile, if you'd like to go deeper, click the links in this podcast description or check out the many resources that we have for you at setapart.org. I pray you have a blessed and Christ-centered week.